Hi, I'm Jack, and this is Tuck In, We're Rolling, Queer Hollywood Stories. Uh, a couple of things before we get started. Um, first of all, uh, sorry for the late episode. There is an explanation on the blog. Again, apologies. Um, second thing, we are recording in my kitchen today, so you might hear um, the dog or the cats or the neighbors across the street and their weird million cars and their children screaming. Um, and the third and most important of all is today we're joined by a very special guest. Hey everybody, I'm Nessa. I'm sure you've heard about me. Quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm actually really excited because this episode was originally supposed to be like a roundtable with you and your wife and us talking about like why we care about um, queer storylines so much. Um, but something happens. <laughs> something horrible. Nothing bad. Well, well, I mean... I mean <laughs> And, and, there, and there's our dog. He likes to join us when we're laughing. Um, he's a big, dumb German Shepherd. Um, so uh, a couple weeks ago, you may remember that I, uh, on our um, book and movie recommendation, I recommended a book called Zeroville. And I said a little story about how my roommate had read it years ago in college. That's me. <laughs> yeah, that's Nessa. <laughs> and, um, I went ahead and, and, you know, recommended it to all of you guys. And, um, in one of the crochet groups that I'm part of on Facebook, please don't judge me. Um, I was talking about my favorite books because we're doing a gift exchange and I mentioned Zeroville. And I couldn't remember the name of the author, so I went ahead and I Googled it, and what was popping up was Zeroville Comedy 2017, and I was like, what? What is this? And that is when I found out that my favorite book of all time had been turned into a movie by none other than my arch nemesis, James Franco. James Franco! James Franco, everybody. <laughs> um, I know I give Franco a lot of shit on this show. I still would love it if he could sponsor this podcast. <laughs> um, but this is, like, the ultimate transgression for me. <laughs> no, I, this is, there's no coming back from this. There really isn't any coming back from this. This is, like, the worst thing to happen to anything that I love. Um... I can't even remember since when. Um, I, yeah, I can't remember the last time you were, like, this angry about something. Yeah, the, like, something in, in pop culture. Um, so, I guess, uh, here's, um, I guess, what's the background on Zeroville? Here we go. So, Zeroville is a postmodern book, and I don't know anything about... Postmodernism. Yeah, so I'm going to turn this over to Nessa, who is a certified uh, book expert. No. <laughs> so I have my, uh, I have a degree, I have a bachelor's degree in literature, language, and uh, linguistics. No, I'm sorry. English language and literature is where I was trying to go with that. There we go. I heard it. See, I have a, a bachelor's degree. <laughs> you're, you're, you're great at words. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I have a bachelor's degree in English language and literature from Eastern Michigan University, which I know by no means makes me an expert, but I actually took a class in postmodernism, and that's where I was introduced to Zeroville for the, for the first time. And um, fun story with Zeroville, it's actually, uh, it's Erickson's eighth book, I think, eighth or ninth book. Really? Yeah, all of his books kind of have this theme where he kind of delves deep and they call him a myth maker which is really cool you know what if if you if you've read zero bill that makes a lot of sense yes like a yeah. lot of sense yes yeah. so um when it came time for us to read this book in our class obviously it was on our book list um the book was on such a limited run that 32 people trying to obtain it for <laughs> i think that was a bag of yarn that just fell <laughs> yeah Yay! <laughs> the hazards of our household. Anyway, 32 people, my classmates, trying to obtain this book. Look at me. We put it out of print. Bellamy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, like, when we, when we tried... Bellamy, come on, I'm trying to talk about books. <laughs> so... When we tried to obtain this book, our high school, um, or high school, our college bookstore was only able to get 18 copies. Oh, my so God. So that left, like, almost half of us SOL. We were totally, like, shit out of luck. So I literally reached out to, you know, my friend Jackie. Yeah. I reached out to Jackie because she was still at U of M, University of Michigan, uh, for right. those of us who aren't Michiganders. Apologies for that. Probably most people. Probably most people. <laughs> and she actually went to the University of Michigan school libraries for me to try and get me a copy. They didn't have it. Oh, Jesus. 
couldn't find it in our local libraries, couldn't find it in any bookstores. And of course, every time I went to a bookstore, they'd be like, hey, let me order it for you. And I was like, nope, it's on back order. It is is out of print. (laughs) It's out of print. Now, I remember this story. This was one of the first stories you told me, like, when we became friends, like, four years ago now. Yeah, yeah. So I remember this story, and I remember being like, oh, that's, like, really interesting. That's really funny. Like, the whole point of the book was that he couldn't find... This, like, the the, the, the heart of his film. Yeah. Like, this one film that he ended up, like, accidentally going on a hunt for. Right, right. And And of course... Yeah. yeah. So (laughs) it did turn into a a myth, as it were. as it were. So, you know, we end up reading this book, and I'm, of course, two weeks behind in reading the book because I was one of the students who couldn't find a copy. So I'm, like, scrambling to read this book, and I ended up having to, like, reread it a second time because the first time I read it like some of the the stuff that was in there just didn't sink in it's super heavy it reading. is dense it it's is very dense, dense there's like there's subtext in it every single everything line. but anyway what I'm getting at here is postmodernism in itself is hard to define postmodernism rejects the idea of definition and truth Okay. So that in and of itself makes it a vague concept. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> the dog sweetie toy in the background where we're talking about the, the intense philosophical theories of postmodernism. Postmodernism. Yeah, this is this is great. This is fine. This is fine. So um postmodernism really kind of at its heart, especially when relating to literature, like Zeroville, mm-hmm. um rejects the idea that there is a singular truth or singular right to it, right answer, more okay. or less. Okay, okay. Um, and really what we're looking at is that every human experience is unique and therefore true. Okay. And what's really interesting, too, um, especially in the case of Zeroville with all of, like, the traveling he does and everything, mm-hmm. postmodernism rejects the idea of nationalism. Okay, that yeah. is that is interesting. I didn't because uh, again, yeah. my degree. Um, I think I might have mentioned this. My degree is in mortuary science. I have a two year <laughs> degree in mortuary science. I was a funeral director for a year and a half. Um, so I everything that I know, everything that I talk about on this podcast is self taught. Um, so I I don't have any basis of knowledge for this really. Like it's mm-hmm. just I'm just a I'm coming at this as a movie fanatic basically. Yeah. Um, and that's why I wanted to bring Nessie on today. Like, she's the literature person. Yeah. And, um, like, the story of Zeroville, I don't even really know how to condense it. Uh, it. It's about a guy who goes to Hollywood in 1969. Yeah. That's all I can say about it. What's interesting, um, I actually was kind of poking around before we started doing the podcast, because I wanted to refresh myself. Obviously, right. it's been years since I've read the book. Right, right. Which I'll admit readily. But I'm one of those people who I read or I... I I guess I could say I take in media, and I can really Mm. only do it once with most media products. Right, and I am the complete opposite, by the way, just for the record. (laughs) I sit there, and I watch movies or read books literally over and over and over and over again, and I get something new and different from it every single time, but Nessie is the kind of person that just one time is all it takes, really, for it to stick. Yep. So, um, you know, I've been kind of looking back at it again, and interestingly, the book itself is defined as the lead character, Vicar. Mm-hmm. Vicar? Vicar. The Vicar. Vicar. The, the Vicar. Vicar, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I didn't realize that until I listened to it on tape while I was uh-huh. driving home. Yeah, gotcha. it's the Vicar, yeah. So he actually is more or less the harbinger of postmodernism. You know, and that makes absolute sense because in the book, if you'll remember, he meets um, Robert De Niro. Yep. He meets uh, Steven Spielberg. He has connections with the Manson family. Yeah, and... like it's 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 a, it's kind of like, and when you say myth maker, that makes a lot more sense to yeah. me about the story. And especially with it being tied into the concepts of postmodernism, which make truth into myth, which is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So. Now, now that we've said all this stuff about this book yeah. and talked about Which it. Which is wonderful. It is a wonderful book, and if you haven't read it, you really, really should. It is just a fascinating read. I mean, like, I read it once, and then I listened to it on tape, and then I read it again. Yeah. And I want to read it again. Just don't put it out of print. <laughs> uh, not, not this time, yeah. Maybe maybe this podcast will put it out yeah. of print. And, like, the really cool thing about the book, uh, just one. Yeah, of course, Sorry. of course. No. I'm going to keep talking. It's um. okay. <laughs> That's why I brought you on this fucking podcast. Yeah, tell me. Sh- um... The reason this book means so much to me is because, like, obviously when I read it, it left an impression on me. 
And I feel like it's important for other people to read because it may not leave an impression on you for yourself. Mm. This book left an impression on me um, and led me in an entirely different direction. I mean, spoilers for the book, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the film he went hunting for is The Passion of Joan of Arc. It is a silent film that has ended up leaving a monumental impression on me in terms of my own aesthetic, my writing, my, you know. Yeah. I read this book because I was supposed to give it to you. Yeah. Which yeah. I know sounds like really like, ooh, ooh, ooh. We kind of live on the fringes of metaphysicality in this yeah, house. So, like, so the belief that like this myth was given to you so to that you could you. pass it on to me. Yeah. And because fascinatingly, the, the book um, or the main character in the book is obsessed with a place in the sun mm-hmm. with, and, and with, and with Monty and Liz, he has Monty and Liz tattooed on the back of his head. Yep. And it didn't even, that didn't even, that went right no, over your head. I had no idea who yeah, they yeah, were. I had no idea. She didn't give a shit about Monty. Who the fuck is Monty? Who the fuck is Montgomery Clift, as the uh, trailer for the movie said. Oh my um, God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, <laughs> he doesn't like that we're talking bad about Monty. Yeah, we can't talk bad about Monty Clift in this house. Maybe we can try and go back and edit out some of the barking. <laughs> yeah. Um, or we can just leave it in and give it character. Um, so... This whole, like, Monty-Liz thing, like, the the main character is just, like, obsessed with Monty, and that didn't even make an impression on Nessie, but when I read the book, that was, like, that was all I got out of it, which is, you know, that's a fascinating sort of, like, oh, Nessie read this book, and it didn't have any, uh, like, the Monty part didn't have an impact, but obviously Montgomery Clift, like, getting back into his films and getting back into his his work has kind of changed the course of my life almost. Yeah. Um, so when I saw all this stuff about a movie being made, mm-hmm. I mean, like, at first I was like, oh, it must be something different. Like, my brain, my brain just, like, totally... Stop. Yeah, my, <laughs> it totally rejected the idea that this book might be turned into a movie. Because it's just, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Like, I think about the ending, which I won't spoil, but, like, I think about the ending of it, and how can you capture that on film? Yeah. It's, it's almost impossible. So then, you know, I found the, the name of the, of the author for this, for my friend in this Facebook group, and I went ahead and looked up the movie, and I got excited for a second, because the, the trailer, the poster, the, all the promotional images are man with, um, Monty and Liz tattooed on the back of his And it head. holds to this really nice, like, the the themes are there. Yeah. Of films that take place in, like, the 60s, in 70s, 70s transition. Yeah. Like, the font is beautiful, and the colors are, like, boom. Yeah, but... they're very bold and primary. But then I, like, scrolled down on the, on the, you know, on the Google page, and I was like, oh, who's in it? And who's number one, man? <laughs> um, James Franco. James Franco. So James Franco, apparently, I mean, this is just my uh, opinion, but I think James Franco so just, read this book. Just your opinion, man. This is my opinion, man. Uh, James Franco must have read this book while he was at Yale and been like, this is the best book ever, man. Me and Seth Rogen are going to make this into a movie, man. You think that's what he sounds like? Yeah, that's absolutely what he sounds like. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Listen, my hatred for James Franco has extended to the point that I don't partake of his. Like, I am no consumer of James Franco. Okay, but, like, just look at him. Like, he has to sound like that. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know where James Franco is from, but, like, I'm assuming it's, like, some, like, California suburb, like, with teeth like that. The fucking horse teeth. Yeah. The last time I found James Franco entertaining was when he was on that 30 Rock episode. I was trying to remember. I was like, no, there is one time There's that I watched the... James Franco and it was with the pillow. Yeah, the, with the with the Japanese uh, body pillow. <laughs> Kumiko-chan. Um, <laughs> and that is the last time. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, actually, I think I, I enjoyed Pineapple Express because I was like an 18-year-old stoner at the time. That's true. So, like, of course I... I, I say that's true. Like, it's the same for me. It's not. Um... <laughs> Well, so, I mean, James, James, James fucking Franco. I'm so sick of him. I'm sick of, I mean, okay, so in the theme of postmodernism, though, um, technically his view of um, Zero Bell as a comedy is true and it is, and and it's, and it's valid. But um, if you've read Zeroville, then you know it's not a fucking comedy. No, I mean, at one point in the book, 
interestingly enough, um, he is talking with uh, the lady he knows. Uh, Soledad? Yes. Soledad? And um, the other, I think her name starts with a Z. The daughter, Zoe, right? Maybe. Zora, Zoria, whatever. And um, they're talking about the kinds of movies that they like. And straight up, Vicar says, I don't understand comedies. And, well, see, this is the thing, though. James Franco probably loved, probably fucking jizzed himself over that line. He was probably like, ooh, someone who doesn't like comedies. I don't like acting, so... Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, again, like, I feel really bad that I'm, like, ripping on James Franco this much. Because, like, it what? It is James Franco. It is James Franco. And, like, here's the other thing. So, um, Montgomery Clift actually makes an appearance in yeah. Zeroville. That's and, <laughs> well, in the... In the book. In the book. Uh... In the in the story, he makes an appearance. Yes, that, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yes. Um, and James Franco, uh, by the way, who directed this pile of dog shit, directed and starred, directed in. and starred in as the main character, and also cast Seth Rogen, Danny McBride, Will buddies. Ferrell. Yeah, Will Ferrell. Seth Rogen as the Viking man. Yeah, Seth Rogen as the Viking man. Yeah, who who uses the R word, I believe, mm-hmm. and um, calls uh the vicar. Um, autistic, which he, yeah, he uses the word synautistic, which is which is in the book. Yeah. Um, but then goes on to say that it means that he's a virgin. Yeah. Which was not in the book. But anyway, so James Franco could have cast anybody as Montgomery Clift, right? Anybody. anybody. Sebastian Stan, who would make an awesome um, Marlon Brando. Yeah, he would. I blame you for this. Like, I actually care about who would look good as this actor now. <laughs> well, I do talk about it quite a bit. Uh, it's okay. You listen to me talk about A. Ham. So. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa loves musicals. I don't. But that's, you know, that's what makes friendship so great. Musicals in American history. <sighs> Hollywood and, uh, I don't know, what else do I talk Dead about? Dead bodies. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Same thing. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so anyway, basically what I'm trying to say here is that, like, he had his pick of any boy from a American Horror Story to play Monty All Cliff. Of those Literally clones. every single one of them. Finn Whitrock, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Matt Bomer, um, Cheyenne Jackson, uh, the other one. What's his name? The the. I don't know their names. Oh God, no! I know you, Wes Bentley. Wes oh, Bentley. that one. Literally any one of these blue-eyed, dark-haired uh, white boys to play <laughs> Monty Cliff, and who does he cast as Monty Cliff? His fucking brother. <laughs> Literally, American Horror Story exists, and James Franco was like... It exists as a well of actors specifically to be used in old Hollywood remakes. Yeah, I mean, for God's sake, Finn uh-huh. Whitrock already played, um... Oh my God, why am I drawing a blank? He was a vampire. Valentino! <laughs> he played vampire Valentino already in Hotel... Oh, that's right. So he's already played an old Hollywood actor. Like, James Franco is so fucking disconnected from the rest of Hollywood that he's like, no, I can only cast my friends. My friends are the only ones. And, like, listen, I get it. Like, if I was famous, I would absolutely give you, uh, like, a... I would give you prime choice. I'm a shit fuck nobody. Like... You know what I mean? Like, the the friends that he's casting, that's the kind of move you make when your friends are still trying to make it. Yeah. Or, like, you're all super collaborative on an idea, or it's, like, your baby. But, like, he keeps casting the same people who all have not only established themselves, but have established their brand. Yeah, and, and not only that, but, like, he keeps making the same kind of movie. Like... Yeah. And, and I'm sure he can Interestingly, did you know that he said that Zeroville is actually um, a three-parter? Or not a three-parter, but, like, part of a trilogy with two of his other films totally unrelated? See, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me, because he's making that movie, uh, The Disaster Artist. Yeah. Um, where he's playing Tommy Wiseau, which is, I will admit, I do want to see that one. Okay. I do want to see that one, because I think that's more James Franco's milieu. Okay. The, like... It's it's a it's like a mockumentary about the worst movie ever made. That's right up James Franco's alley. Yeah, it is. Um, but like Zeroville, like this tale, this this myth, if you will, as of a man who comes to Hollywood to usher in the postmodern age. Right. Via his love of Montgomery Clift. No, no, that's not James Franco's milieu. And I think that um, the other thing that's really like bothering me so much about it is that. So it's a pretty serious story with its light moments. Yeah. But it's a serious story about someone who is 
um, pretty obviously, like, relatively queer. Yes. Of some kind, um, who idolizes another queer man. Yeah. And you're going to turn it into a joke. Yep. You're going to turn Monty's legacy into a joke. Like, that... The time, or uh, the clip in the trailer, mm-hmm. which interestingly I found out is actually the the sales trailer. It's not the cinematic. So okay. the fact that you even found one to watch. Well, here's the thing, Jamie, my friend Jamie at work, uh, and he listens to this podcast. Hi, Jamie. Um, he found it for me. Oh, okay. I could not find it. Yeah. I was just finding like still photos, and I was like, Jamie, I, I'm trying to find this, and he was like, boop 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 boop. Here you go, and he found it. Which explains why it was so terrible, I think. But yeah, but the still like the the clips shown within the scene where they're making fun of him for the tattoo on the back of his head. Yeah, and they're like, and he's like, it's Montgomery Clift. It's a joke. Yeah, Danny McBride screaming, "Who the fuck is Montgomery Clift?" is a joke. It's a joke to them that this queer man who's been dead in the story for ten years now for God fifty years, yeah. sixty years, it's a joke, and that's. Not what it should be. It's completely unacceptable to me who looks at someone like Monty. Like Monty, like Vicar. Yeah. Knowing the effect that they have in what is ultimately like the hub of media consumerism. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, I'm looking at when I think about Montgomery Clift, you know, I think about. Um, like, obviously, I think about how handsome he was. Obviously, I think about the, the movies that he made before the accident. But, like, I also think about him, like, as specifically, like, a cautionary tale for queer people. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's it's a, it's a tale of, like, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, like, Marlon, we have Marlon Brando on one hand who was like, yeah, totally, I love, I love Boinkin' Dudes sometimes. And you have Montgomery Clift who, like, went to, um conversion therapy to try and fix quote-unquote his sexuality this is two sides of the same coin yeah so like sure Marlon Brando became a joke in the end yeah um but you know I still think that he has lessons to teach us and Monty just became a tragedy yeah and absolutely has lessons to teach us and again like I don't think that James Franco has ever sat down and like explored masculinity in Hollywood and, like, explored masculinity in Hollywood as it pertains to the Golden Age. Yeah. And I talked about this in the James Dean episode, because James Franco actually played James Dean once. Yeah. And Franco is one of those people that, like, holds up James Dean as, like, the pinnacle of masculinity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's obsessed with James Dean. Uh, you should see Vanessa's face right now. <laughs> she just she just made stink face and, like, shook her head. Um. James Dean is not the pinnacle of masculinity. That it not not James Dean was queer too, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Well, and James Franco likes to play the game where he's like, "Ooh, am I or aren't I?" <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is the thing like so to use something that maybe most of our guests would be um like familiar with uh, an analogy that they would be familiar with. So like up until I want to say maybe 2012, 2013, 2014, the ideal hero was a Harry Potter, a Gryffindor, mm-hmm. like a like a hard headed, like elbowing people out of the way, like I'm the hero, look at me, blah blah blah, like really like aggressive and an ultra hyper masculine. But now, but now the hero is Newt, Newt Scamander. Scamander. You want it's a Hufflepuff. It's like a man who's in touch with his femininity and in touch with his emotions, emotions embraces them, and like you know is woke more or less. Yeah. Like stands up for people. Did I tell you that my mom used the word woke recently? Oh Jesus! No, it was really cute. She was like, "I used to be so like closed minded, but now that I'm getting woke, I know what's up, and I try to educate people." Oh I was God. so proud. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, Vanessa's mom is great, by the way. But um. <laughs> But, like, so that's kind of, like, James Franco very much, to me, still represents this, like, Gryffindor-type hero, like... While actually being a really shitty Slytherin. Yeah! (laughs) Oh, my God, yeah. As a Slytherin, I can say that. Like, that dude is the slimy guy who, like, crawls on the bathroom floor. Ugh. (laughs) And then says that he's quirky. Ugh. Like, this, this whole James Franco obsession, like... I, I just, I get so angry at him because, like, he has zero self-awareness. None. He is the Chuck Hansen of <laughs> Hollywood. No, think about this no, for a second. No, he is. Absolutely. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar uh, with Pacific Rim, Chuck Hansen is the, uh, one of the pilots. The pilots. Yeah, the Australian pilot from Australia. 
from Australia. The Australian <laughs> pilot from Australia. I'm great at words. Uh, played um, by Rob Kaczynski, who is fantastic if by any bizarre chance he happens to listen to this podcast. Rob great. Kaczynski, please sponsor this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll give you hot dogs. <laughs> Um, I know that was an in joke. I'm sorry, guys. Um, but like, he's like this, this hard headed, like, I'm the best at everything I do. My dad is my co-pilot. My, look at my dog. Like, But the actual hero is Raleigh Beckett. And Mako Mori. Yeah. Yeah. These, these like. Two wrong. different interpretations of what strength is. is. Yeah. The, the I whole, forgot my, <laughs> what the correct verb would be for that. Fine. English degree. Uh, <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Um, yeah. I'm extremely postmodernist. I fully believe that words are totally interchangeable. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa is a crazy person. Um, well, but anyway, like, you know, that whole obedience, not respect, or, uh, yeah. respect, not obedience line yeah. that, that Mako says in played by Rinko Kikuchi, my friends, you need to see Pacific Rim. It is literally the reason me and Vanessa are sitting here at this table together. Yep. Pacific um, Rim made us friends. I have we... a giant robot tattooed on my leg because you of do, it. You know, I always forget. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's always under my pants. I would um, hope so. Well, um, no, but like this, this is what we're trying to talk about when we talk about like the, the evolution of masculinity in, yeah. in Hollywood. Like and what James Franco is doing with this interpretation of Zeroville and what it means, not just in contemporary media, but like taking place within the film is he's trying to physically drag back where yeah. we've gone with masculinity Vicar, I mean, granted, in the book, he is aggressive. Yeah, but, but he's aggressive. it comes from an emotional standpoint. Yeah, because he not... only gets aggressive when, like, people are like... Yeah, oh, Natalie Wood and James Dean on your head, and that's Montgomery Clift! Like, that's... Yeah. And then there's, like, a scene where he saves a woman from being raped. Yeah. Um, and, a... like, having her head slammed on... Um... Jane Mansfield, right? Yeah, Jane Mansfield headstone. headstone, I believe. And, like, those are the times where he gets aggressive. Those are the times where he gets violent. Yeah, it's all about, like, protecting. Like, yeah. it's a very, like, fatherly figure. It's not figure. an angry emotional reaction. Yeah. But James Franco is looking at this man and making him a joke in yeah. terms of his own emotional reactions. Yeah. He has him freak out when somebody, uh, you know, mis I almost said misgenders. <laughs> like, uh, you know, mistakes. mistakes who is on his head as a tattoo. I mean, like, this is his, that's his monument. Yeah. The tattoo on his head is his monument and his statement. And it's misinterpreted. Yeah. And for you, like, my brain is immediately connecting it with somebody misgendering you. Yeah, that's actually a really good... And then somebody turning that into a joke. Yeah, that is actually, uh... Um, I've actually never come out publicly on this podcast. I've never said. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, I kind of thought it was uh, it was like assumed. Um, yeah, guys. Hey, I'm a trans guy. Um, I don't know if you can tell. You can probably tell from my voice, but yeah. I've never like I kind of just assumed that everyone had by this point realized that um, I'm 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 a guy, but like extra like plus. But that is actually <laughs> a guy plus. I, I like it. Um, that is actually like a really good um, like way to put it like it is kind of like it does feel like being misgendered like when yeah. someone is is mis and we talk about this a lot like the way that we meet people that like the same stuff as us but they like it wrong yeah and I hate to say that someone can like something wrong because I think there's a difference between someone who is like willfully ignorant of problematic aspects of their and favorite this, media and someone who just doesn't like to discuss it and just wants to enjoy it. Exactly. Value. And like, that's what postmodernism is. Again, we like following the postmodernism trend. We don't necessarily want to say that somebody is wrong in their truth. Every right. single, every single person's experience is a variant of truth. Right. But when you fundamentally erase the themes of an item in order to make it fit your truth, you are disrupting the rules of postmodernism. And it's hard to say that there are rules in postmodernism. Right, right. But, you know, when you when you take something and you erase its themes to make it more comfortable for you. Or palatable to a broad audience. Exactly. That's not You're not you're not being postmodernist in your activities. Yeah, you're and, not and even, you're not being faithful to yeah, the item. Exactly. Either. Like you're not even being like you're not even having any artistic integrity. Yeah. And um, I'm saying it right now, James Franco has zero artistic integrity. Exactly. He has zero artistic integrity. Um, like and I, I always come back to the interview when I think about him. Um, and that, listen, 
<laughs> it's not obedience. It's respect. Exactly. This is exactly what I'm trying to... This is what I am getting at with James Franco. He thinks that being disrespectful to queer people, to an entire dictator... I mean, I'm not sitting here and, like... Defending, yeah, defending uh, South Korea, North, North, North Korea. Korea. Oh my God, I will defend South Korea to the death. But I'm not defending Kim Jong Un or Kim Jong Il. Like I'm not defending them. But I am saying that like an American person, especially a straight, ostensibly straight white American male, deciding to poke the bear. What kind of fucking like like entitlement and like spoiled like that's the spoiled American especially... that North Korea learns about. Exactly, especially when we have citizens who have died there. Yeah, we have citizens that have died there for less. Yeah, and this is, and and again, like, he likes to poke fun. He's like, oh, I don't even really like acting. Like, it has given you millions of dollars, the ability to make that movie where you poked fun of a dictator, and, like, not to mention, like, the ability to to cast all your friends in a shitty movie. Yeah. Like, this is, it, it, it's mind-boggling to me, and, like, I feel like I, I, I should be calling out some other people when I'm talking about this, like, this aspect that, this Marlon yes, Brando sir. thing where they do the, like, I don't even like acting. You know what? Ryan Gosling, you might be uh, the internet's boyfriend, but stop acting like you're, like, you're too good for acting. Yeah. Uh, and James, obviously we're talking James Franco. I'm also kind of like, like, Christian Bale. I really don't want him to come to this house and punch me in the face. But, like, but like, get it together, dude. Like, we all know that, like, you can sit there and shit on the thing that's given you all these opportunities. And But, you know, there's that there's that meme going around of that comedian, the one who plays on the piano. I can't remember his name. Oh, I don't know. But he's saying, like, don't listen to people who are, like, follow your dreams when they just got really, really lucky. Yeah. Like... You know, he's, he, and he, I, I wish I could remember his name. I, Bo, Bo Burnham, I think it is. And he's like, you know, Taylor Swift got extremely lucky. Don't fucking listen to her when she says, just follow your dreams and everything will happen. Like, don't listen to James Franco, Ryan Gosling, and, and Christian Bale when they're like, ooh, I hate my job and it's just a job to me. But, 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 like, no, you don't get into that echelon of acting without it being your passion and yeah. being something that you're, like, if you really didn't give a shit about acting, you could you have enough money, you have enough security, you have a place in society where you could literally just say Stop. tomorrow I'm, I'm done. not doing it anymore. I'm done. And you could yeah. go fucking fuck off to your island in Tahiti, Marlon yeah. Brando. <laughs> <laughs> for bonus points, if he hates acting so much, I'm really curious as to why the description for this shit ass zero zero bill film <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Do you swear on this podcast? Oh, I swear all the time. Okay. <laughs> um he made Vicar an actor. That's right. And he the like The description of the film literally says an aspiring actor moves to Hollywood in 1969 during like unrest in the industry. Yeah, and he's an editor. Well, and then he says like and it says like from the from the movie like fanatics that brought you all the other shitty movies that he's made, yeah. including the interview. They conveniently left off Sausage Party though. I wonder oh, why. I wonder why. Um like naming every other shitty movie that they've ever made and like talking about how much they love movies. They love movies so much. And then there's like a part in the, that they added to the movie where uh, the Viking man, Seth Rogen's character, is yelling at George Lucas and Steven Spielberg about Jaws. Which is pointless. Like, what? No one would do that. Like, I, I don't know. I think they're trying to like poke fun at like what they're doing is they're trying to poke fun at hollywood but they're using the wrong automobile well and this is the thing like any movie that is about hollywood any movie that is about like it's like an in-joke about the industry it always comes off so bleh. circle jerk yeah it's like i mean even like it feels more like um a comedy roast. Yeah. And I think that's why they chose to make it a comedy. Yeah. Because they're poking fun at each other. They're poking fun at the big names in Hollywood because if they label it as a comedy, it's safe. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I'm even thinking about, I, I love This Is Us, Vanessa, not so much, but, like, even the scenes... Well, I have a problem with it. Really? I thought you didn't like it. I just partake of it without partaking. Oh, that's cool. But <laughs> even the scenes where they're like just filming like like Kevin on he's on set and he's like talking to Sylvester Stallone, those feel canned to me. Like those I don't even like that. Yeah. But and like so like making a movie that's like about Hollywood, 
it, it makes me like physically ill. Like it's like yeah. you guys are all just like reaching into each other's pants right now. Yeah. But you're not gay or anything. Or am I? Or aren't I? <laughs> Virgin. Queer baiting, like the queer baiting that James Franco does, that brand of it. It's what was that guy from Teen Wolf? The 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 one that looks a little bit like Channing Tatum. Tyler Hecklin? No, 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 no. I, I combined two of their names. Yeah, good job. Um, <laughs> the one that's that he came out as gay after like a million years. Ka- Colin? Nope. Colin. <laughs> nope. Col- Jackson, uh, I think is his name. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember his name. I don't name. remember his name but, either. But, but like, I feel really bad. But remember, you should recognize Clears. Well, I, we're angry at him, though. We are angry at him. Because he did that thing where, like, they found him in, um, like, a, a magazine, mm-hmm. uh, like, doing, like, gay, like, softcore gay porn, and yep. he was like, I'm not gay. And then, like, he was like, I might be gay. And then he was like, and then I'm he, gay. Yeah, like, once he found out that it would benefit him. Yeah, like, you can't be... You, you can't be queer when it's convenient. Yeah. You, if you're gay, if you're trans, if you're queer, whatever. If you are part of this community, like, you and are. if you have the position. You have to be vocal. And I got into a lot of fights with people on Facebook about this. Um, you always get into fights on Facebook. I try not to anymore because uh, I, I just can't. I don't have it in me. But, like, I do, I have, um... I have a, like, I want to say, like, a rebellious heart, I feel like. And, like, I think that if you, um, like, I'm, I'm a relatively passing trans person. Mm -hmm. Um, I get misgendered at work sometimes, uh, because my voice, people don't see my beard right away, I guess. But, like... And it's always really funny to me, because <laughs> you ha- you have a masculine voice. I, really? Because I think that, you know what, though? You have a New England style of speech. Ah, that must confuse people. Yes. <laughs> um, well, Michiganders are very confused potatoes, Jackson. <laughs> well, I, what, what am I, a very feminine yacht? <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, okay, but but... You know, I do get misgendered sometimes, and um, I think that I, I honestly don't know what it is uh, about me that, that that. Sorry, I keep looking over here, and you can't see Aristotle, but he is like rolling back and forth in various directions, exposing oh, his chubby belly. Oh my god! Cats, guys, cats. cats. Uh, <laughs> uh, dear, if you're uh, ended up editing this, please please edit that part out. <laughs> um, no, like the I don't really know why um I get misgendered, but like anyway, like I I pass most yeah. of the time, and I I had this conversation with with Greg last night yeah. about how like he was like I just thought you were just gay. Well, <laughs> newsflash, <laughs> you right, <laughs> you right. <laughs> um, I am gay, but um, <laughs> I guess what? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh my God, what? I thought you were just some straight girl. I dragged it off the street. <laughs> um, no, but so like, you know, when I told him that, like, I, I out myself, I disclose um, constantly Yeah. because I think that it's important that people know that I'm trans. I do the so, same thing. So that like, you know, it, it, I know that not everyone's gonna be cool with me being trans, but the ones that are like maybe on the fence they're like oh you know like i met this one guy and he was pretty cool yeah and so that's the kind of like spirit that i like to foster and that's how the same way i mean recently um at my job i had i'm gonna say a a consumer um come in and as we were talking they actually expressed some concerns with me about inclusivity with our location right in terms of how friendly we were towards lgbt people right and I very readily, I was like, you know, I'm married to my spouse of, we've been together for 12 years. We've only been married for a year, but absolutely, we're inclusive. We're yeah. friendly. You're going to find people like you here. Yeah. And I've always felt like I come from a position where, especially being a white woman, mm-hmm. I, it's not just an opportunity, it's an obligation. Right, right. And I feel like I should be able to, at the very least, present myself as some sort of safe space right because like this is the thing this is a thought that i've been having recently like you and i can pass as something that we're not perhaps Mm -hmm. i can pass as a straight man very difficult but i can you like to play that game i do like i do love to play (laughs) the straight game um but i can pass as a straight white man vanessa can pass as a straight white woman um if someone is um 
like if someone is a person of color, they can't hide that. Yeah. They can't hide that. So I feel like, and I don't want to come off as like white saviory because we don't do that on this show. No, no, we don't. Um, but like, but like we're openly acknowledging that we have an obligation to support our community. Right. And I think that if you're in a safe place, if you are in an in an area where you are safe as out, then you should be out. And I, I, drawing that back to Hollywood. Right. Um, um, if you obviously they I mean granted they aren't in the public eye they're going to be in the spotlight but they that's part of the job you have to use that though and you yeah. have to use it responsibly I mean Marlon Brando whatever whatever he did and whatever he has done before he passed on he used his position of power to elevate the Native American cause yeah literally to his detriment constantly 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 like thrown in jail at protests are we still recording? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we totally recording. are. Cool. Dear, edit that out. Um, so, um, and then you have people like Dolly Parton, who are obviously a straight old white woman, but she talks, she speaks for the trees, as it were. Like, yeah. She talks for everybody. And you even have, well, Anne Hathaway made that speech. Right? Because um, she's, and I mean, even Chris Evans. Yeah. He's come out and given support. Um, Chris Evans is my favorite white boy, and I will say that like he readily. Is readily yeah. I mean, we've talked. I talked about how he like apologized for shitty comments about um, yeah. Scarlett Johansson. He's constantly educating himself. He doesn't talk over queer people or people of color. Um, Go ahead. You're good. Okay. Sorry. Uh, like that's my that's my thing. Like James Franco, if he is queer. Which I don't think he is. I don't think he is either. I think he's he's baiting people. Yeah. If he is queer, he should be using his platform, as yeah. it were, to elevate the cause, to talk about it. And I know that, and like... at the very least, he could do that in Zero Bill. At the very least. I mean, again, like, you're going to turn Montgomery Clift into a joke? Not on my watch. Yeah. Not on my watch. Nobody comes from Monty Clift. The, li- the literal reason I started this fucking podcast is, is because... Montgomery Clift. Is because David Thompson talks shit about Montgomery Clift. And I promise I wouldn't talk about David Thompson anymore, but fuck that guy and fuck James Franco. And if he was, if James Franco was standing right here in front of me right now, I'm sure he would be giving me some song and a dance line about like, I'm a comedian. I don't want to talk about deep issues. Then stop starring in any movie that's not a comedy. Don't do 127 hours or whatever the fuck, however many hours it is. You got the don't, right number. Don't, oh, wow. I'm <laughs> proud of myself. Don't star in 11, 24, 63, which I think I also got the right number on that I one. I think you did. Like, stop starring in dramas then. Yeah. Don't do anything serious if you if all you want to do is your life your whole life is just a joke man and you just want to you're just here to have fun and but like you operate in a sphere of like constant threat of um like abuse harassment yeah um this whole Harvey Weinstein thing like oh my god like I mean. There's so many opportunities, and I understand that like people are scared to speak up and speak out in a in, yeah. a in a close community the way that Hollywood is. But I mean, like, we've reached a point as a society where those communities are no longer closed. No, I mean, look, we're calling out our fucking president on Twitter. Ah, uh, God, don't we? Um, that's a big can of worms. But uh, let's I'm not just, open like, it. That's my point. Where you're. The opinions of the quote-unquote elite, the lives of the quote-unquote elite. They're open they're to no us. Longer, yeah, they're no longer just for public consumption, but they're open for public opinion. Yeah. Like, they've reached a point now where the average citizen is no longer afraid to call out or boycott someone. Yeah. And it should be the same across the board. Yeah. I mean, and again, like, I'm thinking about Chris Evans, who, like, always composes himself and always like carries himself like like Steve Rogers I mean like yeah. he is constantly and he's uh, been so open about not just his support of LGBT but um his mental awareness yeah. his depression, depression his, anxiety. his anxiety he's talked about these things yeah. and and then like I, I flip over to like Mark Ruffalo who, who tries yeah. but does not I mentioned Mark Ruffalo, like, once really briefly, um, but, like, I'm angry at him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm angry at him, like, for thinking that, like, talking over queer voices and trans voices and continuing to cast, like, a, a cisgender man as tra- as a trans woman is, like, okay, it's acceptable. Yeah. It, it's 
it's boggling to me. Yeah. And then and then we come all the way over to James Franco and Ryan Gosling, even Tom Hardy a little bit, as loath as I am to talk about t- Tom Hardy in a negative light. Um, but like Tom Hardy refusing to talk about um, his past um, gay like experiences. Mm-hmm. I understand like he's like, oh, I want to put that behind me. But like, if you're bi, dude, like be bi, like be bi, be yeah. out, be proud. Like, and James Franco and his whole like, I'm not gay, or am I? Which is actually a direct quote. That's a direct quote from James Franco's mouth to your ears, friends. I'm not gay, or am I? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could see my face when I do that. Um, oh Jesus! Like, what is that? It's what, a joke. It's a jo- like it's a joke. And he's taking to harken back to my philosophical education lesson earlier. Yeah. He's taking the concept of postmodernism too far. He has doubled back on himself, and he's made it so that. His truth is the only truth. Here's the thing about James Franco, though. Him and his buddies always take it too far. They do. They always take it too far. Like, you know that thing? It's like, end a story one sentence too, like, one sentence early if you yeah. want it to be interesting. James Franco needs to stop talking completely. Three paragraphs ago. Like, like th- two years ago, three years ago. Again, like, I think he's a talented actor. Like, That's the thing that boggles me. It, well, uh, he's a good actor. Like, he has so much talent. And so much promise, and but like, what is he? He squanders it. Like, Shh. Bellamy, I know you love James Franco, but you have to stop. He can't love James Franco. <laughs> um, I think that he's. I think that he was good in. He's good at his traumatic roles. I mean, he's funny too. Like, he can be funny. I think about Pineapple Express, and it was a fucking funny movie. Yeah. I think about how long ago that was, too. Yeah, well, that was when he was still making his funny stoner buddy movies. Yeah. I like funny stoner buddy movies. Like, those are like, it's like the... The relatable. Yeah, like, I was, like I said, I must have been, like, 19. I had a weed guy that was, like, too friendly with me. Yeah. Like, lingerers, man. Like, that lingerers joke, dude. (laughs) And, like, James Franco, like, on the swing, shoving the cheeseburger in his mouth while he's crying. (laughs) Like, I relate to that. (laughs) But, 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 like... Yes, you do. Shut up. I'm sweaty. <laughs> I, I I wasn't gonna say it that loud. Well, I don't. You care. are recorded now. I don't care. I everyone. You know we're not gonna send this to the air. We're gonna be too lazy. We're gonna stitch it together, together on and our this own. This is gonna be your life now. Well, you're you gonna know, be the dude that sweats while talking about James Franco. I oh God. <laughs> my, my roommate and best friends, everybody. I feel like this episode is going to be like an hour long. It is. It is. I don't um, think that's a bad thing. No, because most of our episodes are like short, but I think there's a lot to unpack you say and talk hour. about. Am I going to be here from now on? Well, if you want to be. I don't know. Do you want to talk about? I think next. Did week... you just propose to me? Oh my god, that's disgusting. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, quit. I can't, I can't. I can't. I'm too sweaty. <laughs> okay, folks. He just got. So so upset about James Franco <laughs> that he took his shirt off. I had top surgery. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> um, I paid five thousand dollars for this chest. Okay, I'm gonna take my shirt off if I want. It's fine. It's fine. Mm. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Vanessa's mom was uh, continuing to to call. She really wants us to meet her at the bar. Oh Jesus! I I need to shower. <laughs> um. Obviously. Yeah, well, again, like, we're just recording... We're not professionals. Like, we're just no. recording this... I'm recording this shirtless in my Captain America sweats. Uh, really proud of you. Thank you. In the, on, in the kitchen on Vanessa's iPhone. Mm-hmm. So, um... We're not going to worry too much about the, the nitty-gritty details. Yeah, I mean, well, for God's sake, I, I literally, like, the, the, the past episodes have been uh, 15 minutes on my, on my phone. Um, but I, I think... What we're trying to say here and what I'm kind of been trying to say um, since I started the podcast is that Hollywood really needs to start doing better. It does. Um, it's when when the average person like you or me mm-hmm. can actually put forth the effort to do better. Yeah. To be better. Yeah. To be supportive to those like us who don't have the privileges that we do. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody like James Franco can do the same. I completely agree. And that's that's kind of. You know, like, all the way back in the very, very first episode, um, I talked about, um, 
Rudolph Valentino. Yeah. And the way that he was cast as um, people of Middle Eastern descent. Yeah. And how I thought that was wrong. And then, like, I feel like in every single episode, minus the ones about um, Marlene Dietrich and Catherine Hepburn, like, all the all the women mm-hmm. who, I mean, I'm not saying they were completely unproblematic, but certainly less problematic than Cary Grant beating, yeah. beating his spouses and boyfriends. Yeah. Certainly less problematic than J, uh, James Dean, I almost said James Franco again, <laughs> than James Dean, uh, you know, using, abusing his power as a, as a star to, you know beat his girlfriends and um steal spencer tracy's wallet that poor old man um you you know but like all these guys have sort of you know been in positions where they could have done better and hollywood is in a position where it can do better and it still doesn't no and it's it's like fascinating and boggling to me and you know, again, James Franco, if you are listening to this, if you think that you have not disrespected Montgomery Clift by casting your younger brother as him, please get in touch with me. Yeah. Get get in touch with us. You know what? You 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 appear to be a man of the people. I'm sorry I said fuck you so many times <laughs> on this podcast. But like, if you think that you are doing something important and special, please get in touch with me. Blackcatsrevolt yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah. That's that's where you can you can get in touch with me. Like. Please, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about why you're like this. Um, and I'm sorry I said that story about you uh, having sex with someone from Yale uh, and watching your movie beforehand. And I'm sorry about all the people that I've told about it. <laughs> you're not sorry. I'm not that sorry. Um, but no, for real, like, I I know that I'm uh, a nobody who works at Whole Foods. Um, and, like, I don't... Uh, I don't necessarily have the most pull in the world. Um, but if anybody knows James Franco, if anybody, like, can someone get him in touch with me? I want to have this discussion with him. I want to ask him why he's doing this. Yeah. Um, I Again, I don't really think that this is going to go anywhere. But you never know. I never know. No, like, maybe this will go viral. Who knows? James Franco, hit me up. Huh? If you're really, if you're really queer, let's prove it. <laughs> don't, don't do that. No. I don't want to hook up with you. Sorry. Um... <laughs> Also, please sponsor this podcast. Yeah, also, please sponsor this podcast. Rob Kaczynski, please sponsor this podcast. Chris Evans, please sponsor this podcast. We are broke. Um, Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think that's about it. All right, well then, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Tuck In. We're rolling Queer Hollywood Stories. Uh, This week's episode was recorded by Nessa Billick um, with concepts and editing by the both of us, I guess. Yeah. you can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes along with movie and book recommendations, fun facts and photos on our Tumblr, tuckinpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash tuckinpodcast. Uh, we accept messages on both of those platforms, uh, so please feel free to shoot us any suggestions for show topics and comments you might have. Again, if you are James Franco and you are trying to get in contact with me, my email is blackcatsrevolt at gmail.com. Uh, we put out new episodes every Wednesday-ish, um, and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, so don't forget to rate and subscribe. Uh, we'll be back in uh, whenever with uh, a little bit about um, indie queer films in the 60s and 70s. Again, thank you so much to Nessa. Uh, and it was great to be here. We, we loved having you. Yay! <laughs> See you all next time.